there, folks, and welcome back to The Plunge. It's time for your weekly dive into the absolute shittiest in politics and pop culture. This week, we saw a taste of how depraved and disturbed this administration is when it comes to its immigration policy, namely its recently rescinded family separation procedures and still active tent city concentration camps. We'll put this in some context and see what our politicians and pundits have to say about these atrocities. If this is something you feel strongly about, you're probably a sensible human being with something similar to a soul, and you can find some links to organizations combating this epidemic, like Raices, Sanctuary DMV, and the Whitman Walker Health Center in the show notes below. To lighten things up, we're spending more than half of the show on pop culture this week. We'll start off with a discussion of the possession horror tour de force that is hereditary, and then move on to a different sort of family horror with Netflix's half-baked true crime documentary series, The Staircase. For story time, Dan will describe how his attempt to sneak into the horrendous crime thriller Gotti, starring John Travolta, was thwarted by a Times Square disciplinarian. And of course, we'll weigh in on what truly matters in this day and age, the great Waluigi debate. You did it, folks. You've nearly made it to the center of the maze. This is The Plunge. of The Plunge, your favorite excavation of the foulest things going on in the news, in the world, in culture, and Sam, this week has been depressing, it has been a week of posturing, it has been obviously dominated by the story of these detention centers. I can't help but uh, notice the odd intersection between, I guess immigration and like restaurants this week well before we get to any of that can we just take a moment to honor our president and his love for the flag he did that weird thing again everybody folks our president loves the flag so much he's gotta you know suck on it a little bit he's gotta get real close and hug it like a you know a big teddy bear at the state fair Large adult president. Yeah, it, I mean, you can make all the security blanket jokes you want. He's holding it close to his bosom, like the child that he wishes he had that isn't, you know, as ugly as any of the children that he currently does have. And he does have an ample bosom. <laughs> That's true. Maybe he's, uh, you know, setting fucking new boundaries for what's acceptable in terms of breastfeeding flags in public. I believe you called it a motorboat. <laughs> he is kind of. I, 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 the flag worship is just a ubiquitous aspect of this presidency. It's only a matter of time before it gets, you know, sexual in nature. All right, let's get on to the shitty stuff. <laughs> um, Sam, you're obviously more of our immigration expert, so I'm going to defer to you on this topic, but. Plenty of terrible news about family separation and ICE. For sure. Uh, Specifically, I guess, the knowledge that 
parents are being separated from their children at the U.S. border now as, like, standard policy decreed by, you know, the fucking white nationalist in chief of the Department of Justice, Jeff Sessions. So... Beauregard. Yeah, the guy named after not one, but two Confederates of note. But we've also seen just disturbing images of children housed in tents in over 100-degree weather and kind of this also evil intersection of like business and the prison industry that has created this juggernaut that the word concentration camp is being used because it's the correct term and that is something that we for the fucking umpteenth time after the japanese internment camps and everything else that this country has done it's just another atrocity on our hands why is the phrase concentration camp applicable here and it is a proper usage of the term no matter what like sensitive jewish liberals it tells you like pearl clutching like not to say it for sure but even in that context i would say that there's a difference in between like the german death camps and even german concentration camps not all of the camps were death camps and they had a pretty complex archipelago of these institutions obviously towards the end of it it became more ramped up but either way the term concentration just refers to the collection of undesirable elements from society into places that are really kind of off the map there is a good npr article from a little while ago about the joe corley detention facility in conroe texas which is like an hour north of houston it talks about how ice spends more than two billion dollars a year on immigrant detention through private jails like this one the corley facility being owned by geo group which is uh, the nation's largest private prison company and it just goes to show what we're dealing with it is like the intersection of the vicious authoritarian hand of the right wing and the nativist elements in our political sphere and also just the most bleak capitalist aspects of our excuse me excuse me sam i'm proud that my president is a businessman yeah the the free market will solve everything clearly this has been concocted to serve like corporate interests Of course, there's that aspect, but it also is just, I think, good political capital for people in this country who need a scapegoat and also people in this country who are fucking racist and don't like it when, I guess, brown people are free to come and go through their country. So there's a lot going on here. It's not, I don't know if it's just one thing, but for sure, that's a large, the corporate aspect is a large aspect of this. And just, why do you think this in particular has like struck a chord like i mean this is a new policy right it's it's particularly trumpian the separation of children from their parents is the specifically new policy but that was announced by jeff sessions recently but one thing that people have been pointing out quite correctly is that the concentration of people who are deemed not citizens of the U.S., like people who come seeking refugee status, which you have to cross the border in order to come seek refugee status, or you can ser- seek it at a port of entry. But it's not a an act of illegal immigration, like the misdemeanor fine you get for um, illegal immigration in this country. The It's not that. It's uh, these people are not even breaking the law that people assume they're breaking because they're 
coming through a legal channel to seek citizenship, if that makes sense. Beyond the obvious, like, racism uh, behind (laughs) this sort of policy, what do you think is the practical goal of harsh immigration standards? You know, at this point, it does seem like they're... I mean, we did see that just today, before we recorded, Trump passed, like, an executive order saying, actually, I won't separate children from their parents at the U.S. border. the TV is mad. (laughs) Yeah, because the TV is mad at him. That's absolutely the correct read on that. But (laughs) either way, I think that it's... it's part of what they're doing right now, and they really haven't come across what I would call true resistance from the hashtag resistance up until this point. No, and we have talked like at length about Obama's poor uh, immigration uh, record, and do you think that's something that the standard liberals are reckoning with now, or... Are they telling themselves that once the families are put in concentration camps with their children, that was problem solved? I mean, there's so much evil going on on that side. You sent me this thing about Chuck Schumer. We were talking earlier about this thing from the other night when Chuck Schumer said he would rather... Keep the focus on Trump, then support a bill which keeps illegal immigrant families united at the border. Which, it's, it boggles the mind why this <laughs> just fossil is leading us, uh, lead the Democratic Party. I don't want to say, like, us broadly, but right. it's like, this is not the strategy, I think, that we want in our leaders. We, obviously, uh, I think, Plenty of people in this country now would appreciate a full-throated uh, pledge to abolish ICE from all every Democrat. Yeah, I think that's becoming a good litmus test sort of issue for people moving forward in 2020 as you know all these crops of Democrats pop up thinking that they can beat the juggernaut Donald Trump at the uh, you know at the ballot. But I think the thing with Chuck Schumer's statement there to me, it's like. So literally Trump did more than the Democrats to end this issue, even though he obviously was the one who what what his, whose administration was responsible for the policy in the first place. But it just goes to show like how ineffective they are and how they the Democrats, I guess, will sacrifice the actual issue at hand in favor of scoring political imagined like political points against the opposite side it's very heinous i don't know do you think there's going to be a broad sort of movement on this abolish ice issue with elected democrats currently like do you think it'll be a a thing in 2018 people actually run on as a populist message I don't think that the Democrats are in any hurry to really pick this up right now, but I think that might change moving forward. We obviously like Kamala Harris in the past has defended ICE's right to exist. And in general, the, the idea of abolishing the DHS or something like that, or even ICE 
what is definitely going to be a tough pill for a lot of those centrist Democrats to swallow. I'm sure we're going to see a bunch of like centrist kind of like quote unquote liberals coming out in defense of ICE because they want to score political points against, I guess, people further to the left of them. But I do think further to the right of them, you mean? No, further to the left of them. They're going to say like, uh, we want to keep, even though, I don't agree with what ICE does at this point, and there have been abuses. I don't think we should listen to the destructive Bernie Sanders elements of this party. Oh, they want to I abolish see. ICE. That's what I meant. Yeah, like Bill Crystal going for like the liberal. Listen, guys, nobody likes seeing these pictures, but we gotta have ICE. Who else is gonna kick out the illegal immigrants? Like, I'm I'm expecting to see that sort of thing. Do you know how many police dogs will lose their jobs if they legalize cannabis? Those were good paying jobs. Those were good jobs going to good dogs. Good people who owned those dogs. Uh, Let's just talk about some of the responses this week ranging from just utterly cruel to bizarre yeah i mean definitely we should give the liberals credit for at least saying that this is bad because we're about to get into i guess the conservatives who are like this is the cost of doing business (laughs) no big deal well let's before we hit the fox news bullshit let's just shout out splinter news whose twitter account got temporarily suspended because they published Stephen Miller's phone number, and uh, it led to, I think, Libby Watson and Alex Perrine, like a bunch of prominent uh, left-leaning writers, got locked out of Twitter because they shared Stephen Miller's phone number. And Sam and I actually both sent Stephen a text. (laughs) Yeah, it's true. Dan, you want to read yours first? I'd be happy to. And I said a very brief message because I was sure by then that he was getting so inundated that he shut his phone down. I said... Stephen Miller, question mark, you are bald. <laughs> I like that. That's like the sneak attack. Right. It's like it's like maybe he thought I was a pal and then he got him uppercut. This owns because it makes me think of Stephen Miller like going through all these texts and be like, I, I hope I didn't miss anything important. So he has to read like every insult that's been dropped on him. I also noticed that uh, Stephen Miller is an iPhone man because I sent him iMessages instead of just the sickly green text messages that you have to send to people with androids or any of people who aren't in the iPhone master race. Steven Miller really looks like Squidward. He's definitely not in the master race. And even though he maybe considers himself like some sort of far right nationalist kind of person, I still think that real Nazis aren't too big a fan of him for just one glaring reason. (laughs) He's bald. Oh. What did you text the boy? All right. I uh, texted, uh, building on your bald theme, because we have to go for lowbrow insults here. I said, you look like a bald turd. Nobody wants to kiss you. And that's just a fact. And I followed up later with, uh, like like an hour later, with bro, like WID, you know, what you doing? <laughs> I think that Stephen Miller and that Christian... Nielsen, who spells her name with a V, where there's no V, and it's just confusing. There's no V, there's a J. But, you it's, know, it's cursed The Jen. DSA. <laughs> well, we saw the DC DSA chase her out of a Mexican restaurant of all places. I don't think 
the irony is lost on anyone there. Yeah, I mean, also DSA was just doing work this week across the country. Portland uh, DSA shut down an ice facility. Yeah, they camped out outside of it and, you know, just protested until they shut it down. Yeah, no, there's been some kick-ass direct action. And I think in the absence of electoral politicians leading us to, you know, defund ICE or whatever, before waiting for them to come around on it, I think this is a good time for direct action and, like, civil society organizations to come in and fill that void. Well, let's go to the dumbest motherfuckers in the universe. Uh, Laura Ingram basically said that, oh, it's just like... (laughs) When your kid cries when you drop him off at summer camp. Like, these howling, like, terrified, like, toddlers without their parents, and you're saying it's, like, dropping them off at summer camp? Yeah, I think this week we definitely saw, like, the depths of the depravity of what we can expect from people on the right who are going to apologize for this, like, dastardly system of fucking concentration camps. Like, people really just wrote it off and acted like this is, like, what people get for the crime of thinking that they could enter this country or something. It's, it's really disgusting. Yeah, or, like, as if, oh, this is what we've always done, or this is kind of, uh, you know, just the standards for how you, like, maintain the rule of law, and they just bring up, like, MS-13. So, Tucker Carlson, let's play this clip from his show the rich and powerful reminding you just how virtuous they are you think any of these people really care about family separation if they did they'd be worried about the collapse of the american family which is measurable and real but they're not worried about that in fact they welcome that collapse because strong families are an impediment to their political power that's why they're always lecturing you about the patriarchy and the evil of the nuclear family so in that clip tucker just what a fucking moron this is one of those moments that tells you everything about our ruling class they care far more about foreigners than about their own people what the fuck does he think the ruling class is i it's it's the very alex jones fucking language that he's using the globalists (laughs) And, of course, he's, without irony, saying that the fact that, I guess, liberal people or, like, the CNN crowd think that it's bad to separate children from their parents, because of that, that's evidence that these George Soros sort of plutocrats are manipulating the world into making us care more about foreigners than people here when of course the issue at hand is the fact that these people are being like not not only separated from their families but also maybe thrown into tents or like substandard housing conditions which has been going on forever and let's play the unfortunate Corey lewandowski fucking absolutely horrendous moment I read today about a 10-year-old girl with Down syndrome who was taken from her mother and put in a cage. I read about a, a, did you say want-want to a 10-year-old with Down syndrome being taken from her mother? So, Corey Lewandowski saying womp-womp after, I mean, hearing a, a horrendous story. I mean, he's a sadistic, sadistic man. Yeah, he's a goon, and, I mean, we've seen some really sickening videos like this. I also saw one of 
CBP laughing at kids crying, saying they were like conducting the orchestra of children crying who had been separated from their parents. It's fucking despicable. It's like really the only word. Also, a little funny though in the video how the guy who literally who was on with him and justifiably, like, if I, you know, I don't know how this guy didn't just break down and say, like, fuck you, Lewandowski. But the way he was just like, sir, have you no decency? What was it like? He really did the classic, like, liberal thing everyone makes fun of, of like, sir, are you, are you uncouth? How you dare you? Up, but the bottom line How is very dare clear. You? When you cross How absolutely the border dare you, illegally, sir. sir, you have not followed the norms of discourse. You must report to the discourse police immediately. I'll cut that guy some slack because Jesus Christ, I don't know how he like. No, for sure. To have to hear that on live TV and like, and you're trying to actually talk about some human rights abuses that have occurred, and you have to listen to like the biggest dipshit on earth, Corey Lewandowski. I was gonna say I definitely feel you on the cutting that guy who is talking to Lewandowski some slack because if I had been up there, I for sure would have been like, how dare you, sir? You are a sniveling coward. I would have definitely, like, my uh, all my cool vulgarity would have left me and I would have been like, <gasps> I would have clutched the shit out of my pearls and everything. It just reflects the cruelty of the policy. Yeah, I mean, it just goes to show where these people's heads are at. They really, it's a, it's sadism. It's a big fucking joke. <laughs> Let's honor the dignified morals of Michael Cohen, who has quit his job at the Republican National Committee over Trump's family separation policy. <laughs> it would own if that was the only reason that Trump decided to pass that executive order today, ending the policy. That would have been so fucking hilarious. Not to make light of this disgusting situation. Once I heard my lawyer, <laughs> Michael Cohen, <laughs> had... I, I knew Cohen's the only guy I could trust. Oh, my goodness. So, last thing. Uh, Peter Fonda, you know, famous actor from Easy Rider, proved to us today why perhaps liberal boomers should stay off Twitter for their own good when he said that his followers should rip Baron Trump from his mother's arms and put him in a cage with pedophiles and see if... Mother will stand up against the giant asshole she is married to. Yeah. He has since apologized, saying that he was too vulgar and inappropriate about the president and his family. And uh, spokesperson for Melania Trump said the Secret Service has been notified. <laughs> about the threat <laughs> i think he also said he wanted i mean all everyone's all like terrified about the alt left or whatever the dsa hassling kirstian nielsen at her dinner but peter fonda said that he wanted her like stripped naked and like paraded around the streets or something like fucking <laughs> fucking lunatic <laughs> like come on i hate the, i hate the lady too like nothing uh, obviously she represents this evil coalition but <laughs> tone it down a little bit up for twitter i will say though i feel like he was probably fonda was probably referring to the wasn't it like a four-year-old girl was sexually assaulted by an ice agent that's a sad reality of this whole thing is the exploitation of the people who are detained obviously if you 
are being housed in a tent, you're defenseless against basically anyone. And they they really don't fucking care. These are they're like throwaway people to the CBP guards and the ICE agents and shit. They don't think about them as humans. They just think about them as like you know someone not worthy of the protections of you know the meager protections of the law even just what we enjoy what little we can cling to yeah so you know the only answer the only takeaway i can think of is uh ice uh, must be abolished right there sam yeah i mean i would raise that whole dhs gotta go you gotta restructure everything and make it so that immigration is not this far-right fascistic horror show that it has grown into today so first off we both saw hereditary it's the big uh, horror movie that is definitely divisive um it has what i guess we could call a star wars problem where it's audience score is far lower than its critic score yes which i was a little surprised by because the audience that i saw it with really responded well to it well where do you want to start with this movie what uh, i guess should we go through like the plot a little bit yeah i mean generally the plot is just that there is a spoilers also spoilers are coming hereditary is about a family that is fucking used as to rebirth a demonic presence called Paimon. So what that means essentially is you have a family that is just creepy as hell. There seems to be this underlying sort of dread. The film starts in the aftermath of the grandmother dying and what'd you think of the first like hour of the film? I can see why audiences might not respond to it with elation because it is heavy on the horror of grief and the horror of losing loved ones and the fear that you're not in control. And throughout it, I think we're mainly able to experience this horror through the mother and the oldest son And the mother is an artist, and she creates just these disturbing little miniatures of... The dioramas. I haven't seen shit like that since I was a kid. Like, dioramas. They're very, like, a synecdoche New York or something. Yes. But uh, either way, yeah, just little miniatures of scenes from her goings about, which include, at one point, her daughter being beheaded by a telephone pole, which does happen in the events of the movie right and this is midway through the film and without breaking it down too much it is the son who is driving well incredibly stoned who carelessly allows his uh, sister to die in an accident but i get the sense that it's a result of the possession in the film because i like i don't think it's all his fault i think that it was going to happen regardless to fulfill this like demonic prophecy i suppose it's a very kind of horror movie thing to happen and the theme of beheading is well executed in this film there's some great ones oh man yeah i mean just it starts off with the little girl named charlie slicing off a 
dead bird's head with scissors. Hell yeah. And she was really well cast, I thought. But did you think she seemed younger than 13? Definitely seemed a little younger than 13. But, I mean, that also could add to why she is, I guess, portrayed as sort of an outcast even before this possession starts to occur and to clarify about her death she she only goes is in a position to die because the mother forced her son to bring his little sister to a party in a gambit to keep him from getting high or drinking which of course doesn't work i don't know if he drinks anything but he is still he gets high with the girl he wants to make out with or whatever and then I did like that sort of it wasn't cast as a he's so high that he killed his sister. It's clearly like part of this prophecy. And the unique horror of having himself murdered someone is so gripping and so emotional and raw. It's like makes for like a really unique visual experience. Yeah. And I would say the tension just really, really this just ratchets up super fast. Um, like in the party scene they're like cutting what clearly are like mushrooms i my fear was that the that charlie was going to eat the mushrooms oh yeah and that would lead to some sort of satanic uh, realization or whatever but i was happy it didn't go there but then dismayed by (laughs) what uh, occurred where her head gets lobbed off and man they show it they show like that head just getting eaten by ants the next morning and that long moment where i forgot the son's name where he's just sitting at the steering wheel knowing that like what awaits him in the back seat is like his dead sister and it was scarier almost it was extremely scary the next morning when they showed the head like that was i definitely jumped a little bit but uh, it was the terror of like not wanting to look back that was that was amazing i thought but this movie also fucking just delivers on the good juicy horror shit i remember just jumping all over the place there's the climactic scene at the end just really delivers on everything it's creepy as hell and scary and there's the imagery is perfect and there's perfect tension and it really blew away a lot of the competition for these like prestige horror movies that have come out recently. Most notably, I would say The Witch is the one that I'm thinking of, where it kind of ratchets to a climax that I found very dissatisfying, maybe because I built it up a little too much in my head. But with this movie, with Hereditary, I was expecting that to happen, and it really delivered at the end, I think. Yeah, I... Man, that ending was crazy, because it's... Peter, that's the son's name. He ultimately is kind of the like link of the whole story because you find out that the carrier of paymon had to be the male heir i love the kind of almost greco-roman prophecy that occurred where the characters sort of realize that they're trapped in this situation there's an incredible turn by Wait, man, what is that actress The from the... Oh, uh, Ann Dowd? Ann Dowd from... The Leftovers. The, the Leftovers, for sure. She was fucking brilliant as this kind of medium who seduces the family and takes advantage of their grief to eventually fulfill this demonic prophecy. And 
in general, I just think the movie was very well done and uh, the performances were solid. Yeah, Tony Collette as Annie was incredible. Horror films never get like Oscar nominations, but I thought she was so good. Yeah, and definitely I think we've seen a reevaluation of the horror genre. I think maybe because people with the internet are able to see more of the classic horror from back in the day. And we've seen kind of more of a emphasis on making horror movies as cinematic or at least as gripping as kind of big motion pictures. And we've seen more of an audience for it. And uh, as a horror fan, I'm happy to see this trend continue. Yeah, it was the studio that you might have heard of. It's called A24. They put out a lot of interesting like indie movies and you know, the stuff that has maybe, like, an actor or two that you've heard of, but is kind of, like, under the radar. And it's uh, A24's biggest opening weekend ever. Yeah, and it just bodes better and better for their trajectory. The Witch was obviously big in 2016, but then the next year they also did It Comes at Night which with Joel Egerton, which is a really great movie as well. Very kind of gripping, and it also has an emphasis on that kind of family horror that we've been talking about in this episode yeah i guess this and a lot of great horror movies they really do rely on like emotional horror it's it's the terror of like like you said like grief loss um like what you can't get back once you know once certain things are done and certain like choices have been made yeah definitely uh carries in the tradition i think some other movies like the babadook is really good on that family horror sort of thing especially i guess you know single mother with an only child i guess uh hits close to home but either way it's uh gripping material to say the least and i think we also saw another exploration of this in the true crime genre on of course our favorite streaming platform our overlord netflix uh we're talking about the staircase so let's play a little bit of the uh trailer to that right now i can vividly remember finding kathleen 911 where's your emergency my wife's had an accident she's still breathing what kind of accident Kathleen Peterson was found dead at the bottom of the couple's staircase. Peterson's husband is novelist Michael Peterson. The cop was on me instantly. There was sufficient evidence to warrant a trial. The injuries are not consistent with a fall down the stairs. The charge? First degree murder. No way in this world my father ever would have hurt Kathleen. We're like, Dad, we believe you. He wanted to give the appearance that this was a wholesome, functioning family. Well, that simply is not true. Mr. Peterson was bisexual. I understand you'll want to pump the ratings, but give me a break. I don't think the DA cares about truth anymore. This has become a show. The back of the head was struck three times. The Staircase, what can you say? 13-hour documentary about Michael Peterson, a writer who... I mean, by the end of the the thing, I mean, his guilt is really still a fucking mystery. And what happened when his wife, Kathleen Peterson, was found at the bottom of her home's staircase, blood flowing from numerous bizarre wounds on her head. No skull fracture, but bloody wounds on her head. So this was a really weird case. I mean, in either 
scenario if Peterson somehow bludgeoned her to death and didn't fracture her skull or if she fell this is all bizarre either way for sure and michael peterson himself is kind of a quirky dude he's like a novelist i did not find him likable no not at all i thought he was from the beginning i was like he's guilty i definitely thought he was guilty from the start I thought the same thing. You know, Stephen Avery, I was, you know, in Making a Murderer, which was, I guess, the big Netflix true crime show before this. Like, I I totally believe, to this day, I still, like, kind of emotionally believe he's innocent. But this, I just was like, Michael Peterson, just there's something in, something in the way he talks about the case. And I know that defendants can be victims in the system, but I don't know. This is just, this is a weird one. It was weird, and what was even weirder to me after I finished it and started reading about the case was that people have been accusing the documentary series of being partial to Michael Peterson in a weird way. I definitely got the sense through it that I did not think he did it just because, like you said, his wife had numerous lacerations on her scalp, but her skull had not been fractured, so he couldn't have hit her with, like, Something it, it didn't make sense for him to hit her to be hit in the head with like a what a fork or something from a fireplace. Yeah, and there was no murder weapon, uh, you know that that was really found that they could just link exactly to it. So and I so generally I didn't think that it made sense to envision him like beating her down, but what is uncanny and I think is like the damning evidence. I thought the prosecution was so fucking stupid. Like, they were they were such dumbasses. They kept employing, like, racist tropes about the forensic scientist who was, like, Chinese. And this takes place in, like, North Carolina. So, you know, people's racial politics aren't great. They were like, well, even the jury selection, they were like, well, I don't know. I can't really understand him. It's like, he, he's talking completely clearly. Like, yeah. <laughs> he's speaking completely normal English. You just can't stand that he's, like, Asian. Yeah, they just didn't like that it was, like, a Chinese guy talking. They thought that he was, like, distrustworthy. I was like, oh, do you think he also, like, smokes opium in his basement or something? I don't know. That was definitely some bullshit. Also, not to mention just, oh, my God, the degree of homophobia Oh, yeah. Is, is just, it's, it's unbelievable. So, yeah, the prosecution plays up Michael Peterson's bisexual tendencies. He, behind this eerie veneer that he and his wife and kids made of being this perfect, wealthy, suburban family, he was leading a kind of, I guess, double life and kind of fucking around with, like, gay men who dressed up like i guess soldiers or something and he also fabricated everything about his own military history which i thought was awesome he was a valor thief no well he did serve he just wasn't like i think it was that he wasn't injured in war so he he did serve so it's i don't think it's technically stolen valor but he's just a fucking liar (laughs) well yeah but he stole like valor by making up a bunch of things that didn't happen in the course of him doing the service it's it's a story valor stealing you know it, it, it counts but the degree to which they're sympathetic the filmmakers to michael peterson I just think that comes with the fact that they clearly just didn't have much access to the prosecution and you're never going to get 
the DA to let you film him as intimately as like the lawyer uh, David Rudolph and the private investigator Ron, uh, what's his name, that guy who looks kind of like Ron Jeremy. <laughs> I found uh, his uh, defense attorney extremely endearing, even though he was clearly trying to exp- exculpate this guy for what seemed like a pretty clear murder. Well, uh, it, well, the thing was, it wasn't clear. That was the thing. It's that there was the reasonable doubt thing that always comes up, right? And sure. I think that they didn't they didn't do their job to prove that he did it. Exactly. It, it, the narrative that was constructed by the prosecution, which, as we mentioned, was dumb as rocks, did not really answer the question of how he was murdered. And he did do an Alford plea. Uh, Michael Peterson did the Alford guilty plea, which says that he ex- understands why the evidence convicts him, but he does not admit guilt. So, I don't know. It was definitely, like, a weird case, but I did think it was super weird. I read an article in, where else, Cosmopolitan, about nine things that were, like, left out about this case that seemed kind of weirdly relevant. Definitely there's a lot about the financial woes that Michael and Kathleen Peterson were in. Michael Peterson didn't make very much money, but his wife was an executive at Nortel, this, like, Canadian communications company. And she was, like, the primary breadwinner there. But did you get a sense of that from the movie at all? No, not really. I feel like that wasn't played up. His career wasn't talked about that much. They talked more about his, like, military service. Right, and they also didn't mention that Kathleen Peterson was really the sole owner of the couple's mansion and most of their property because she was the one who made all of the money. He also got a massive payout from her $1.4 million life insurance sum. So this is a little bit of the, I guess, financial aspect. Like I said, the creepy circumstances and weird coincidences of this murder, which maybe not murder, but uh, alleged murder. Well, I mean, and then obviously you have the fucking fact that the mother of the two girls who Michael Peterson adopted as his own daughters, she also, when Michael lived in Germany and was close family friends with her, she fell down the stairs and died as well. Yes, and he adopted her fucking kids. So I kept thinking about him being like, I've killed every mother you've ever had, you little cretins. You better listen to me. Like, I don't know. They definitely had a weird cultish family vibe. But at the same time, like, you understand their perspective where you're, you do, you just do feel bad for them because th- they didn't ask for any of this. And... Oh, for sure. The documentary also left out something particularly weird, which is the possible strangulation injuries on Kathleen Peterson's body, which an autopsy found, but which is, I didn't really see much talk about in the documentary. She also was found with feathers and clumps of hair in her hands, which I think they briefly mentioned in the beginning, but wasn't really talked about. And that led to the, something that you told me about the owl theory. Yes. It's that she was attacked by an owl either outside or in the stairwell and you know it got sort of entangled with her hair and it's thought that perhaps she got so flustered trying to get this owl off her she ran inside and just kind of fell and bled to death and obviously she'd been drinking i think at valium in her system so i don't know People do crazy things when they're crossfading. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when they're like, uh, you know, feeling like future. But 
that theory also was formulated by the Peterson's neighbor, a lawyer named Larry Pollard, which I think is kind of funny. Just some, <laughs> you know, friendly neighborhood gossip. I'm not going to say I, like, totally think he's innocent or guilty, but I think it was certainly a, uh, an illustration of, you know, the fucked up justice system. Yeah, and also how hard it is to find the actual truth that happens when the internet criminal investigation, given that both sides are trying to construct a narrative. Yeah, and the other thing that I think Peterson or maybe it was Rudolph who said this, that like you can't prove someone's innocence. You can only prove not guilty. True. Even at your best case scenario, that's really all you can hope for. That's true. And another thing that I thought was very funny that I found out later was that Michael Peterson had a book deal ready to go if he was found not guilty. Well, I can't imagine why (laughs) he wouldn't want to profit from it. Also, apparently the documentary's editor had a relationship with Michael Peterson at one point during the shoot. Yeah, they ended up dating each other, (laughs) which is also some interesting material. I mean, I guess it seems kind of odd to be studying someone who may have committed murder, and you're like, this seems like someone I need to date. I did find the film frustrating, maybe for that reason. Overall, was kind of like... Honestly, can I be honest? I feel like it could have been way shorter. And Definitely true. How much fucking footage did i need of him and the kids uh, just talking about bullshit like it, there was there was so much cuttable footage and i'm like did this really need to be like a 13 part series i mean i know it unfolded over years and was originally eight and then they added two episodes upon his uh initial release and then netflix released the series with three new episodes so it's had a long uh life this series and um I did enjoy it, but frustrating. I I will admit I got a little sick of it towards the end. There wasn't any good resolution, and they were just kind of trying to milk a lot of cinematic capital out of the creepiness of their family, which kept insisting, like, there's nothing. We've always been such a happy family. We eat dinner together. This is just so weird and everything. Something's not right there. But, uh, hey, you know what? Kevin Spacey will return to theaters in august with the aptly titled billionaire boys club sam did you hear about this film i haven't heard anything about this film i I read the brief description of the premise it's about i guess a uh ponzi scheme started by a bunch of young people and uh, he's apparently only playing like a supporting role but I'm not sure we, once again, need to be rehabilitating the man after what, what, what he's become famous for. Yeah, and, I mean, to clarify, Kevin Spacey uh, is uh, reportedly, he made unwanted sexual advances towards young male actors and created a toxic work environment throughout his career. And uh, apparently he plays in the film an investor and con man who gets murdered. So this is interesting because it's after, obviously, the the high-profile editing out of Kevin Spacey from Ridley Scott's film All the Money in the World, 
which they reshot with Christopher Plummer with like weeks to go before the movie was released. And Netflix totally shelved a Gore Vidal film starring Kevin Spacey and Michael Stolbarg, which honestly probably would have been pretty fucking good. So, <laughs> Yeah, that is a shame to say. But either way, I guess Billionaire Boys Club, despite the uh, title, didn't really want to... They were like, fuck it, let's just push on through. We don't need to like throw any more wrenches into this production. Yeah, and you know, they made a statement like, eh, we don't condone sexual harassment and we fully support the victims and we're going to release the film. It's not easy nor insensitive. Uh, we believe in giving the cast as well as hundreds of crew members who worked hard on the film the chance to see their final product reach audience and uh yeah one man doesn't represent an entire crew yeah but it's gonna be really uncomfortable in the theater (laughs) okay um oh man yeah we have a review in the new yorker by someone named anthony lane of the incredibles 2 and my god sam he's horny (laughs) am i reading this thing I'll, I, you want me to read it with my I, I, yeah, yeah. sensual radio voice? Yeah. Take your seat at any early evening screening of Incredibles 2 in the coming days. Listen carefully, and you may just hear a shifty sound as of parents squirming awkwardly beside their enraptured offspring. And why, kids? Because Mommy just leaned over to Daddy and whispered, Is it just me, or does Mrs. Incredible kind of look like Anastasia in Fifty Shades of Grey? Having seen Fifty Shades of Grey, I will say Mrs. Incredible is way more fine than Anastasia from Fifty Shades of Grey. Mrs. Incredible can get it, and she's gorgeous, and she can stretch everywhere. Like, Mr. Incredible is a lucky man. Let's clarify that that is Sam, not Anthony Lane, the New Yorker reviewer. Let's go back to his horny review of The Incredibles. Yeah, I'll save my horny review for a later episode. So he continues, And Daddy just rested his cooling soda firmly in his lap, (laughs) and like Mr. Incredible, tried very hard to think of algebra. (laughs) Oh, God. Also, what a nerd moment. You're supposed to say you think about baseball, not algebra. (laughs) Come on. (laughs) So he continues, as for how Daddy will react later on, during the scene in which Helen and the husky-voiced Evelyn unwind and simply talk, woman to woman, I hate to think, but watch out for flying popcorn. Ew! So, like, boners just, like shooting popcorn yeah why is uh incredibles 2 like afternoon screening just the sexiest time possible for this dude it's extremely weird yeah it's uh it's disturbing to say the least uh, that he feels the need to comment on the boners of the dads in the theater like i said i will admit that mrs incredible is fine but I, I don't know about this uh, sexual read of a fucking movie that's clearly, like, many other movies of its ill, kind of a naked cash grab. Well, let's move on to... Quickly, I want to talk about a movie I saw when I... The first time I tried to see Hereditary. It was sold out, so I saw the most wholesome uh, alternative. It, Won't You Be My Neighbor? 
This is the Mr. Rogers documentary. Uh, just fucking awesome movie. Uh, great to see in theaters too, honestly. Um, you didn't you didn't catch this one, right? No, I haven't seen it. Did you feel like you were just in the room with Mr. Rogers? It honestly was visceral experience. <laughs> Did you see it in three D? Yeah, I saw it in 4D. <laughs> it's when you can smell him. But, um, yeah, Fred Rogers, uh, obviously, he started uh, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, this series that was super progressive. Uh, it was for children. But as uh, I think Rogers put it, like, so much of the th- entertainment and everything geared towards children just viewed them as consumers and he wanted to view them as like human beings with like deep uh, thoughts and feelings and i think uh it's a very valuable message for right now that's i mean that seems like it's the perfect thing that i need instead of seeing solo which is what i saw tonight which almost killed me (laughs) we've given enough uh air time to solo but uh can you give us like a one minute review a one-minute review of Solo. Well, everything that I said earlier about Solo was true, but it also was so much worse than I could have imagined. It was so unnecessary. It was worse than the prequel movies, and I'm pretending it doesn't exist. Alan Ehrenreich doesn't look like Han Solo. He's, like, six inches shorter than Harrison Ford. Donald Glover cannot do a Lando impression for some reason, even though he's a talented actor, and... I wanted to die. There was a giant space squid at one point, and I felt bad for the squid, but I really felt bad for myself, too. Well, Sam, I think that it's time we talk about the movie, really the only movie that matters right now. The other palate cleanser, more like an aggressive palate cleanser than the Mr. Rogers documentary. This is gaudy. Let's play a clip. I nominate John Gotti. To the new boss! Oh. I'm so proud of you. You should be running your own crew now. Mr. Gotti, are you the head of the Gambino crime family? I'm the head of my family. Mrs. Gotti, do you know what your husband does for a living? He provides. John's getting too much press. That can't go unchecked. It was meant for you. We've never been under this kind of scrutiny before. What were you saying on the tapes? I said a lot of things that could get a lot of people in trouble. Dad, you say the word, I'll go for a cliff for you. You swore to me that you would not bring him into that world. This life of ours is a wonderful life if you can get away with it. Johnson has been an informant for the FBI. It's a grand lie! Order! As a father, the idea of you being in prison made me sick. Never back off, ever. Let everybody know. Now everybody comes to me. All right, so first things first. This tweet from the film's Twitter page is just incredible. Audiences loved Gotti, but critics don't want you to see it. The question is why? Trust the people and see it for yourself. Dude, this is like Trumpian. No, it is. It's totally like a movie for the Trumpian era. It's 
Hang on. There's one screen. There's one screen in the video that you shared. It says, "Who would you trust more, yourself or a troll behind a keyboard?" Implying that like the critics are trolls. Dude, it says earlier in that clip. It says critics put out the hit. <laughs> <laughs> no, they're totally owning the terrible Rotten Tomatoes score because I think people are starting to figure out that the ratings don't mean anything. Whereas previously they were taken as this like sacrosanct identifier of a quality in a film. Now people are just like, you know, everyone likes a movie that's like got 20% on Rotten Tomatoes or something like that. All right, but let's clarify this John Travolta starring <laughs> John Gotti biopic directed by Kevin Connolly, who is E from Entourage. Yeah, baby, the Entourage director. This film, which has gotten pushed back so many times and was originally only going to get a video on demand like release. It has a 0% Rotten Tomatoes critic score. Zero. But it has almost as many user ratings as Incredibles 2. And the two films came out over the same like weekend, but had wildly different box office performances. And this is leading to a weird like marketing strategy that we've talked about, but... I don't think this audience score, I mean, it seems like, come on, this is this has got to be kind of fudged here. The movie couldn't possibly, it would have made so much more money. It, uh, in opening weekend, it had 1.67 million Damn. gross. That's not so bad. there's no way there were as many reviewers as Incredibles 2, which was, like, a, I think it was the biggest opening for an animated movie ever or something. Yeah. Um, so, it, I think that this is, like, and apparently um, this is, like, weird. Like, MoviePass accounted for, like, I think it was 60% of tickets sold to Gotti in its opening <laughs> weekend. But MoviePass, like, owns a stake in the movie. Hell Yeah. So it is like a it's like a a vaguely criminal syndicate running the whole thing. Look, Rotten Tomatoes sometimes it's not it's not the most accurate way to determine if a movie's good. However, if something gets zero percent, and then that becomes the market, critics don't want you to see it. Yeah, yeah. because it's bad. (laughs) (laughs) No, but I love that Trumpian messaging. I think that this movie probably has the highest percentage of people seeing it who are also people who are like breaking their framed photos of robert de niro and whatever <laughs> because they're mad yeah they're okay let's like let's play the audio let's play the audio of this like staten island dude who threw out the robert de niro <laughs> photo that he had hanging in his house this used to be my idol i used to love this guy robert de niro but after what he did last night at the Tonys, this is where Robert goes. Okay, come on, Robert. We're going to show everybody where you go. That, this is where you're going. And this is what we think of you. 
You're a real piece of shit. Another Trump hater down. Thank you. Okay, and I will bring us to story time by telling my story of the other day when I saw Hereditary and noticed that Gotti was playing (laughs) in the theater next to it, like, about to start. So, Sam, I was texting you throughout this decision-making process, and uh, did you think I made the right call by trying to swindle the producers of Gotti out of a... (laughs) <laughs> a, a box office tickets. Listen, Dan, one of the founding principles of this show is that stealing is usually fine. And in the case of stealing a viewing, like stealing the right to have your eyes lay <laughs> on fucking John Scientology Travolta playing John Gotti, then that is totally within your right. That is like a, that's God's work that you were doing. It's right directed now. by E from Entourage. <laughs> I low-key think that this movie owns... I, I do think the critics are trying... The fake news doesn't want you to see this movie. <laughs> oh <my God. laughs> I think, when is Trump going to endorse this movie? He's going to do it. Okay, this guy, Dan Merle... Um, I'm, just, I, I'm just... This caught my eye on Twitter... He said, okay, I'll just come out and say it. Some party involved with Gotti artificially manipulated the audience scores, and they're now using it as a marketing strategy. The numbers don't make sense. Even if it weren't true, this is a divisive and desperate way to sell a film. If you didn't see my earlier thread, Gotti's user rating on Rotten Tomatoes were extremely abnormal for any film of its size. This is now obviously part of a concerted marketing strategy to discredit its abysmal reviews and paint critics as out of touch. That's really (laughs) pathetic. I mean, yeah, now that you say it like that, it doesn't sound as cool. So, I don't know. But that is basically also how Trump's businesses work in, like, some kind of uncool and demeaning way, like stealing from people or importing, like, Polish, like, slave laborers or whatever. So, I sit down to an aisle seat to a, you know, it's like 6.30, 7 p.m. weeknight screening of Gotti and... I'm sitting there and I am told by a middle-aged, like, but on the younger side guy, hey, you're in my seat. And this is Times Square, so it's a fucking hell, like, AMC theater. Oh, my God. Why would you see a movie in Times Square? It's on the way. It's, uh, it's like, right by my office. Oh. I move to the middle of the section and I suddenly realized that, hold on, I don't want to position myself so it's going to be hard to leave in the middle of Gotti. <laughs> <laughs> so I moved to the aisle seat below the one I had just been sitting in. And then I proceeded to get, I mean, I thought I, I had my headphones in because it was like the, tra- the, the trailers were about to start. And this guy was like, I bought a ticket. You can buy a ticket. You know, I paid for my ticket. And he just kept repeating that, like, congratulating himself that he had purchased a ticket to Kevin Connolly E. from Entourage's 
film God. of John Gotti starring John Travolta. This man is such a fucking like Trump supporting dipshit. <laughs> like so proud of the fact that he like mowed his lawn. Like yeah, I'm envisioning just like the worst kind of like suburban tyrant right now. Like a guy whose knuckles are still bloody because, like I said earlier, he punched through his framed photo of like Robert De Niro. I was like about to just laugh in this man's face because he thinks that I am making a concerted effort to see Gotti without paying because I'm like dying to see this film. And you know what? I let him have the victory and I just walked out. (laughs) So I did not see Gotti. That's the end of the story. I'm not going to lie. I was a little disappointed when you dropped that on me, but... I mean, I was narked. <laughs> he definitely would have. He was the kind of guy 10 minutes into the movie. He would have gotten up and I would have gotten a tap on the shoulder by some guy in a polo shirt saying, hey, can you show me your ticket? I would have had to say, sorry, man, I didn't pay for Gotti and have to deal with the shame of being <laughs> escorted out of the Times Square theater. <laughs> OK, but this is what I don't get. Don't you have the movie pass? Yes, but you can't do two in one day. Oh, really? That's important. Yeah. I don't I don't use the movie pass. I think this episode was productive, Sam, because we went through some darkness and then we emerged and I think we found some light with Gotti. Yeah. And I mean, maybe just as a last palate cleanser, we we have to weigh in on this preposterous Waluigi debate. Oh, right, forgot. Yes. Um all right, I'm pro Waluigi. He was paraded around at this E3 event and teased as a character in the new Super uh, Smash game, and he's not a playable character. So, Sam, what is your opinion on Waluigi? I'm very anti Waluigi. It's a deep seated hatred that I've had for a while. And I understand that people feel common cause with this, like, perverted man who is a bizarre ripoff of Wario. Like, he's just Luigi with a W in front of it. How is he worse than Wario? Wario makes a lot more sense than Waluigi. I think they're just kind of fucked because you can't turn, like, the L upside down. Literally on waluigi's cap there's an upside down l on it it looks like a greek character or something it's very bizarre he doesn't make any sense his mustache are l's as well i even saw someone text stephen miller they tweeted out that they texted him this then i read the whole text and it was basically like stephen why don't you back down from your government post and do the important work of restoring waluigi to the new super (laughs) smash game okay well the main case against waluigi is that waluigi is just like a weird fucking thing they made up for like mario tennis or something back in the day because that where it started it is because they needed wario who is a genuine enemy from the mario series to have a tennis partner so you could play against Mario and Luigi. You needed a doubles partner. So they literally just put a W in front of Luigi. It makes no fucking they sense. They couldn't have just used Donkey Kong or something? I don't, like, or yeah, Bowser? Anyone else, it makes sense. But, like, no, they had to use... They had to invent this, like, prop. He's, he's basically... Why do you Gucci. say he's a perv? 
he just is. He's like lanky. He has a creepy ass. His mustache is somehow creepier than every other Mario Bros. mustache. And he, have you heard his voice? He goes like, wow. Let's play it. Like, let's let's play a clip. Yeah. Waluigi number one. Me. I won. Me. Mine. 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 <laughs> yeah. All right. The voice is... It's frustrating. <laughs> there are way too many disturbing Waluigi memes out there. I'm in possession of a gif of him just doing like the like, full on Kenny Rogers, like crotch chop and shit. People are all over <laughs> Tumblr with like, uh, what, Waluigi yowie and bullshit. Like, Waluigi can hit it from the back and shit. It's like, wait, it's a little too 2018 these days. Yeah, I had seen. Waluigi pieces like all over the place, including the Washington the Washington Post. Post. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so clearly, this is a cultural issue that must be taken seriously. Waluigi dies in darkness. <laughs> <laughs> all right, folks, we're gonna let's close it here. This is the plunge at plunge underscore podcast on Twitter. At Spaventacular, for me, that's at S-P-A-V-E-N-T-A-C-U-L-A-R. And Sam, where can they follow you? Just at W-A-G-S-T-A-N-K. And we'll be back next week. Uh, We're going to get a Patreon started at some point, so get ready for that. Yeah, more of us talking. Endless content. We are proponents of endless content, and let's go and we'll spend the night pondering the owl theory. Yeah, weigh in on that, and uh, I mean, whatever it takes to get your mind off of the like horrendous crimes of our you know, executive branches, administration, uh, man, today, actually, when I was leaving work, the fucking motorcade, like, went in front, and, like, just as I was trying to get on the train, and I was, like, (laughs) I was so frustrated, I couldn't think of anything cool to do in the face of it, and, of course, everyone just, like, stares at the stupid motorcade as it passes by, but I was frustrated that people didn't, like, bum rush it, honestly. A congressional intern yelled, fuck you to Donald Trump in the Capitol, yeah, I mean, if the staffers and the interns are acting out, then you know we have, like, a full-blown, you know, political insanity on our hands. Yep, and we'll be back next week to talk about it some more. It's the plunge, folks.